Nissan has been committed to the EV game since 1947. Their EVs have traveled 8 billion miles. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. From the North Pole to the Formula E track to your co-worker's garage. Put the electric at EV with the Nissan Aria and the Nissan LEAF. Visit NissanUSA.com to learn more. Nissan. EVs that electrify. A few more minutes with the past. Today's show is going to be a little different. As you know, we've broadened our vision from music books to include music documentaries and films. We've also added fun, regularly appearing shorter episodes with bonus material from some of the authors and film directors who have appeared on our podcast. Sometimes, however, the stars do not align with our desired output due to schedules. So in those quiet moments, Steve and I have taken a deep dive back into the interviews beginning almost two and a half years ago and called bonus material from those chats. Hopefully, these will inspire you to dig into our catalog of authors and books as we keep the goalposts moving forward. And so, here's an archival, a few more minutes with the past. Enjoy. We're back with Ray Paget. He is the author of the book Cover Me, the stories behind the greatest cover songs of all time. And he stuck around to give us some bonus content. Thanks again for joining us, Ray. Thanks for having me. So at the very beginning of your book, Prince explains his feelings about the complicated nature of cover songs. And we talked a little bit about that in our podcast. Sinead O'Connor's semi-definitive version of his Nothing Compares to You is one where Prince talks about how he felt about that song. What was his opinion of cover songs in general, but also Sinead's version? So Prince was in this, as in so many things, a contradiction, an enigma. He sort of talk trash about the phenomenon of cover songs, about it being like someone was stealing his songs, you know, like, a, like it was a theft. But then, you know, something like Sinead O'Connor's Nothing Compares to You, he loved, um, you know, and sort of championed. And that, <laughs> that, that, that was sort of unusual for an art. Most artists say good things about covers for, because if nothing else, they make money if someone covers their song. So it's relatively rare, but yeah. Prince had some sort of complicated feelings about covers. Half the time he was saying he hated them, and then half the time he was championing them, or, of course, doing plenty of them himself. So go figure. I have to ask, how come that song didn't make the book's final cut? Uh, mostly because I couldn't get uh, an interview with Sinead O'Connor. Or Prince, probably. Or, or was Prince, Prince might have been dead by that point. I, I don't remember the timeline. But with something like that, you know, if it's like Elvis or Jimi Hendrix or something, you know, I can work with interviews with the sort of I wouldn't call them, you know, peripheral figures in the world, you know, engineers, studio people, band members, et cetera. So they all have interviews, but if the person's dead, it's one thing. But, you know, if it's a relatively recent one and it's not like crucial to the broader story of the cover, you know, I have other 80s and 90s covers in the book. So, you know, Sinead O'Connor wasn't, uh, she's sort of got her own, you know, issues and trouble in her personal life. She wasn't doing interviews, so I just bagged it. I wish I, wish I would have, though. I, I love that version. I love Sinead O'Connor. So yeah, it's definitive for sure. And, and uh, as you said, your book and what we talked about earlier was a very wide ranging and, and sort of popular, like, you know, what everybody knows, those cover versions. And um, I'm going to ask you about two more. I don't want to give it all away, but I would like to encourage people. Uh, the stories are great. You know, the genres are very wide. So I want to ask you about two more in your book. Uh, we recently did an interview with Adam Steiner on his book, Into the Never, Nine Inch Nails and the Creation of the Downward Spiral. And we had a great discussion on Johnny Cash's version of Hurt. What is your take on that version? 
I mean, it's got to be one of the definitive covers, both of the last few decades and also, you know, of Johnny Cash's career. What I hadn't realized until doing the research for that cover was that, as probably many people know, was on one of the American recordings. These albums he did with Rick Rubin, where he covered a lot of songs. He had already covered Back and Soundgarden, you know, and sort of alt-rock people. This was on the fourth album. So, you know, he had sort of done this before with a variety of songs multiple times. But what Hurt did that the others didn't was these were kind of all critical successes. He became very cool and beloved, but they actually didn't sell many albums, the first three recordings. And Hurt became his first genuine hit in like a gajillion years and sort of got much wider exposure than even the earlier American recordings had. And, you know, I think just defines that song for most people now. Yeah, it's kind of an inverse on what we talked about where Devo does the Stones, and now you have Johnny Cash doing, you know, industrial noise rock uh, as a cover. And Cash said, nobody is safe out there for me. I go through them all, picking and gleaning. And his son said that he made that song a Johnny Cash song. On the opposite end, Trent Reznor said, I just lost my girlfriend because the song isn't mine anymore. That sounds, you know, pretty much like Prince's Nightmare, but that's what happens sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Trent Reznor was interesting because he sort of, he had mixed feelings in a way about it. He said he heard the version, the Johnny Cash version, you know, they sent it to him, Rick Rubin or whoever. And that's when he was kind of like, I, I don't know, this seems like, you, he was kind of upset by it almost. Not not angry, but like it's it was a very personal song for him. And to hear the unmistakable voice of Johnny Cash kind of threw him. But then when he saw the music video, that's when he finally got it. And kind of like Otis Redding, you know, saying that respect wasn't his anymore because it was Aretha's now. Trent Reznor basically said the same thing about Johnny Cash and Hurt. And that video was equally and daring and beautiful as the song. And like you said, had a huge impact. And in your book, you talk about Michael Stipe and Joni Mitchell, who says some incredible things about that. Yeah, I've got the quotes uh, here. You know, Michael said, Michael Stipe of R.E.M. said Trent Reznor was born to write that song, but Johnny Cash was born to sing it. Um, and he said the power of the, the video, focusing on the video again, the power of the video is something I can barely talk about. It had such a profound impact. And then Joni Mitchell said about the video, it was almost too sad, but beautifully done. I have mixed feelings about it. I'd have to see it again, but I don't really want to see it again. Just speaking to the sort of emotional impact of that video of, you know, Johnny Cash being so old and weathered. And they both nailed it too, at least to my mind. Um, one more, the Fugees, Killing Me Softly, and that was best known by Roberta Flack's version. And that was a cover by her too, I believe. And she tinkered it into a smash hit. Yeah, once again, a cover of a cover. So the original version was by a, a woman named Lori Lieberman. She had co-written the song with a couple of professional songwriters after seeing uh, Don McLean of you know American Pie fame, seeing a concert by him, she wrote this sort of poem, Killing Me Softly with His Blues, was the original lyric. She released it. It didn't do really anything. But at one point, uh, Roberta Flack was on a, a flight, an airplane, um, and she was looking through like the in-flight magazine, as you do, and she saw some little mention of this. And something about the title kind of grabbed her, and so she used whatever they have you know, for in-flight listening back then. You know, the radio they were playing or whatever. She went and listened to it, and by the time the... Uh, flight had landed she called the songwriter and she says you don't know me but my name is roberta flack and i'm going to make your song a hit wow and so from in flight magazines to 20 years later lauren hill and pross and the power of radio in a car rears its head can you tell that story 
Yeah, so they were, Lauren Hill and Praza of the band, the Fugees, were driving to the studio to record late one night, and they were listening to this um, radio show that came on late at night on whatever the local station was that basically played like, you know, torch songs, love songs, ballads. And they're listening to it, and Roberta Flack's Killing Me Softly come on. And, you know, Lauren Hill, in addition to being a rapper, had a great voice, and they wanted to showcase it. So Praz sort of was like, started pushing her to cover that song. Tribe Called Quest plays big here too, don't they? Yeah, so that's sort of the other half of the, of the story. So they get the idea that Lauren Hill should cover Killing Me Softly, but the problem is they're a hip-hop band, right? They're rappers, and so it's a little weird for all of a sudden her to just be like singing this whole soul ballad. And so... They don't, they don't know how to solve that problem. But then they are, you know, doing concerts and they each have their own walk-on music. Um, and at one point, and Praz's walk-on music is a tribe called Quest song called Benita Applebaum. At one point, he's, you know, in a stadium or wherever they are. And he sort of misses his cue. He's way too far away from the stage. And all of a sudden, he hears the beat of this tribe called Quest song playing. He's like, oh, God. And so he starts running to get to the stage because he's really late. And so it's just playing over and over again. And as he's listening to this beat, he starts singing the lyrics to Killing Me Softly in his head. And he realizes the, the Fuji's version could basically be a pairing of the two. Lauren Hill singing a relatively straight version of the Roberta Flack song over a version of the beat from the Tribe Called Quest song. Uh, that's a great story. However, their version was denied by the original songwriter and they had to make a ton of edits, right? That's right. Although in their case, it was more like undoing a ton of edits. So what I was saying before about you not you not needing the permission of the original songwriter to make a cover is true in most cases but there was an exception that exception is if you change the lyrics and the fujis had changed the lyrics they had made it called a song called killing the sound boy and sound boy um is kind of a jamaican slur for like um a wannabe opposer you know kind of a song beefing between musicians and they had recorded this whole version called killing the song sound boy but because they had changed the lyrics they had to go get permission and the, and the songwriter said no i interviewed him and he basically said you know you're free to write your own songs but you can't change mine and so then they had to go back and re-record all of it and you know lauren hill had done you know layers of vocals so they have to go re-recording all of these painstakingly to the original lyrics but when i talked to Praz. He said that was a blessing in disguise because killing the sound boy, you know, only real hardcore hip hop heads would know what that even meant. It would have been alienating to other people. Whereas, of course, killing me softly, the Fuji's version became, you know, by far their breakout hit. Yeah, it is uh, released. It explodes. But you write the song's success came at an unexpected cost. Yeah, the cost was basically of the band. They uh, it, it sowed the seeds of their demise, because if you listen to it, it sounds like a Lauren Hill solo song. I mean, she's the only, other than, you know, Wyclef and Praz get in some kind of ad libs in the background, but basically it's just showing off Lauren Hill's amazing voice. And the other two band members had been really important, but kind of in a behind the scenes role and producing it and coming up with the music. And so, you know, all of a sudden everyone's saying, Lauren Hill, like you're better than the other two Fugees. You need to go solo. And uh, sure enough, she listens and soon does. Well, that's a great story, and uh, I want to thank you, Ray Padgett, for coming on. Um, your book is full of great stories, so I uh, you know, tell everybody, if you're interested in cover songs, and everyone is, read Ray's book because it's a lot of fun. Thanks again for joining us, Ray. Thank you for having me back. If you enjoyed this teaser, have a listen to the complete podcast episode on your favorite podcast provider. Please follow, subscribe, and share. And thanks for listening to All Music Podcasts, a member of Pantheon Media.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.